Chapter Five of Odd. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Esther Ben Simonides. Odd by Amy Lefebvre. Chapter Five. Prince. The children were all at breakfast the next morning in the old-fashioned kitchen. Nurse and her brother were having an animated talk over some reminiscences of the past when there was a knock at the back door and Mrs. Giles went out. Coming back, she appeared with a small hamper under her arm, which she placed on the floor. "'Tis the queerest thing I know of,' she said. "'Look at the label now, Jack. Whoever is it for?' Everyone crowded round at once. "'For the little odd one at Brook Farm.' "'Tis for one of the children,' said Jack, rubbing his head. "'They'll be the only little ones I know of.' "'It's for Betty!' shouted Douglas and Molly excitedly. "'She's the odd one. Open it quick, Betty. Perhaps it's a big cake.' "'It's alive!' exclaimed Nurse, as on her knees she tried to undo the fastening. "'Come along, Miss Betty. You shall open it for yourself.' Betty came near and with trembling fingers cut the string. A minute after, and out of the hamper, jumped a beautiful little black-and-white spaniel. There were screams of delight from all the children, and great surmises as to who could have sent it. Betty guessed, but said nothing, when she found a piece of paper tied to a brass collar round his neck, with these words, "'From a friend, hoping he may prove a true companion.' She clasped her arms round the dog's neck in ecstasy. "'He is my very, very own,' she said, looking up at Nurse with shining eyes. "'And I'll have him for ever and ever.' The little creature sniffed at her face, and then put out his tongue, and gave her a lick of satisfaction and approval. From that time the two were all in all to each other. There was a great deal of discussion about him that morning, and Betty had to tell the strange, stern lady who had spoken to her in the wood. "'I'm sure she sent him,' Betty kept repeating. "'I'm sure she did.' "'It was awfully mean to keep your adventure so secret,' said Douglas, looking at the dog very wistfully. "'She must be a fairy godmother living in the wood. I wish she would send me something.' "'Perhaps she is a wicked fairy or witch,' suggested Molly, who has turned a prince into a little dog, and we must find a kind of spell to bring him back to a prince again.' "'That's what I'll call him,' said Betty, looking up. "'I'll call him Prince.' Nurse at first demurred at having such an addition to her family, but Mrs. Giles comforted her with the assurance— there, let the little miss enjoy him. She'll soon get tired of him. Children always do. And when you go back to London, you can leave him behind with us. He's a good breed, that we can see. And Jack will be able to sell him, if we don't care about keeping him. It was fortunate Betty did not hear the suggestion. Prince was rapidly filling a void in her little heart, of which only she perhaps had been dimly conscious. She was a child with strong affections and intense feelings, and a yearning to have someone to love and to be loved in return. None of the little Stuarts were demonstrative, and few guessed how deeply and passionately the bright and mischievous Betty longed for the sympathy and love that was so rarely shown towards her. So engrossing was the possession of Prince that the day went by, and tea-time came, before Betty thought of her new friend in the church. But when tea was over, she took Molly into her confidence. "'Molly, do you think I might take Prince for a walk? Would he follow me?' "'Where are you going?' "'I'm going to see a lady that I think is the governess Mr. Roper told me about.' Nesta, her name is, only I think he called her mother Nesta. I told you about it one night, don't you remember? She's really very old, but she looks very young, and this one must be her. Where did you find her? In a church. Oh, and Molly's tone was indifferent. I don't like people in church. Nurse says she is going to take us to church tomorrow. I hope she would forget, but last Sunday it was too far, she said. And Douglas and I were going to have a beautiful church in the orchard. There's an apple tree just like a pulpit. Molly! called it Douglas. Sam is going down to the river to fish. He says he'll tell us where we can fish, too. Do come on. Away ran Molly. 
The twins were playing in the garden porch, and nurse chatting in the kitchen with her sister-in-law. Betty called Prince, who had been busy with a saucer of scraps, and putting on her straw hat, set off along the road to church. Prince was certainly a great charge. He was a dog of an inquiring mind, and his continual rushes into the hedge-sides and long searches after young frogs in the grass considerably delayed his young mistress's progress. But at length the church was reached. The evening shadows threw long, weird shapes across the darkened path that led to the porch. The rooks were noisier than usual, and Betty looked anxiously down at Prince. "'You won't bark, dear, will you?' she said, stooping and lifting him into her arms. "'Because church is a very quiet place, and music is the only noise allowed. "'I'll take you in to see the prettiest little girl you've ever seen, and she's lying so still. "'I brought her some forget-me-nots.' Prince struggled a little at first, but Betty soothed him and then crept inside. "'I'm afraid I've come too late,' she murmured, as she looked round the silent church and saw no signs of the lady. "'But I'll come another day soon and see her.' Softly she made her way round to the stained-glass window she loved, but started in astonishment when she saw leaning against the monument a tall, strange gentleman. He did not see Betty, his brows were knitted and his lips twitching strangely under his heavy, dark moustache. With folded arms he stood leaning against the pillar and looked down upon the far figure of the recumbent child in front of him. Then he stooped, and taking up one of the fading lilies across the child's hands, looked at it wonderingly. "'The picture more lasting than the thing itself,' he muttered. "'It is all that is left us. The fragile productions of nature cannot exist long in this hard rough world, and yet how I tried to shield her from every blast.' A slight whine from Prince startled him, and looking round, he pulled himself together sternly. "'What are you doing here, little girl?' All the same words had been said to her in the wood the other day and Betty began to wonder if she were again on forbidden ground. "'Does the church belong to you?' she asked, standing her ground, and looking up through her long, dark lashes rather shyly. "'Am I where I oughtn't to be? I came to see that little girl.' He looked at her. "'What do you know about her?' "'I don't know anything, but I want to know. I love her, and I've brought her some more flowers.' "'Did you put these lilies there?' "'Yes, they're quite dead now, aren't they?' "'Of course they are. This is the place of death.' Betty did not understand the bitter tone, but she said simply, pointing to the child's figure, "'She isn't really dead, is she? She has gone to sleep. I was thinking, when I was here before, if Jesus would only just walk out of that window and touch her hands with his, she would open her eyes and get up. I should like to see her, wouldn't you? I watched her the other day till I almost thought I saw her move. But she will wake up one day, won't she?' There was no answer. Betty slipped her little hand in his. "'Would you give her these forget-me-nots, or lift me up so that I can do it?' She had dropped Prince, who was sniffing suspiciously round the gentleman's heels, and waited anxiously for his reply. He took her in his arms and held her there while she placed the flowers in the position she wished, and then, before she was lifted down, she said softly, "'I think she is really singing up in heaven. I like to believe she is there, but I'm not quite sure. Do you know if she came out of tribulation?' "'Why should she?' "'Because it says, about those in white robes with crowns.' These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It makes me feel very unhappy sometimes, because I haven't been through tribulation yet, and I shan't be ready to die till I have. She was set quickly down upon her feet, and without a word the gentleman left her, shouting down the aisle and shutting the church door with a slam that echoed and re-echoed through the silent church. Betty was startled at a sudden departure. She took up her dog in her arms again, and stood gazing silently up at the window above through which the setting sun was sending coloured rays in all directions. Then with a little sigh she turned and left the church. Outside the porch was a grey-headed old man, the sexton, who was taking his evening walk among the graves. "'Hello,' he said. "'Be you the one that banged us your door just now? "'Twas enough to scare the owls and bats and all the other beasties from their holes forevermore.' 
"'No, it wasn't me. It was a gentleman.' "'Oh, was it now? Shouldn't be surprised if I knew who it was. "'Twas Mr. Russell, surely. "'There's no other gent that favours this here building like him.' "'Is he Violet Russell's father?' questioned Betty eagerly. "'The old man nodded. "'Yes, he be that little maid's parent, and he'll never get over her loss. "'She were the apple of his eye, and when she were took he was like a man demented. "'Ah, just the young as well as the old I have to dig for.' "'Does that gentleman live here?' asked Betty. "'Aye, surely, for he be the owner of the whole property hereabout.' But Tisnell's money will give him comfort. He have had a good deal of trouble. I mind when his father turned him out of doors for his painting and such like pursuits. And he went to Italy, and there he taught himself to be a artist, and painted and carved a lot of stone figures. And folks say he made a name for himself in London. He were taken back by his father after a bit, and came a-courting his violet grandeur, and lived over at Deemster Hall. But his brother, Mr. Riddle, cut him out when he went off to Germany for a spell, and he and his violet run away together. And when he come back he found his bride stealing. He were terrible cut up, and off he goes to foreign parts again, and never a sight of he did get till the old squire were dead. Mr. Rudolph had killed himself out hunting. Then Mr. Frank comes home again with a brand new wife, and we thought as how his life were amending and things were looking up. He seemed brighter too, but lack a day, it were not ten months afore I had to dig a grave for her, and she left him a two-day-old babe to bring up, and little Violet where the joy was shot. She was a pretty bright little maid, and were out on a little pony every day with her father. She just doted on him, and he was loving as a woman with her. Then there come the day when the little maid got an ugly fall from a pony, and all the London doctors were sent for, but could do no good, and she were in bed a wasting away for nigh a twelve month, and then she died. Twas a mercy for she'd have been a humpback cripple had she lived, and Mary Foster, what were her maid, said as how she suffered terrible at times. The Lord were merciful and taken of her. It is not to be wondered at Mr. Frank taking it sorely. And then he shut himself up in his painting-room, and never come out of it till he had the cut little maid's figure out of stone, like as you see it in the church. Many's the visitor that I've taken in to see it, and the ladies that come we shed in tears of the little dear. He put up the coloured window, too, and comes to church regular, but he's hard and cold like a stones he cut, and his troubles have spoilt him. I mind he would a bright face bonny lad once, that he used to show bird's nest to in the hedges. But now he passes me without a civil word or look. Aye, it's trouble and toil and tribulation that's man's lot here below. Betty listened to this long harangue breathlessly. Much of it she could not follow, but the old man's closing sentence made her look at him eagerly. Do you know about tribulation? she asked. Me know of it. Aye, surely, when I've buried six sons and daughters, and last of all my wife, and dug all the graves myself, saves two, which were Jack and Merky, which died of yellow fever, and only a packet of letters sent back to his belonging to him and in them there were a bit of his mother's grey hair which he had cut off that playful afore he went away and then there were rob that were killed down a coal mine and we could never get at his body and he left a widow and three children and she were married to one of his champs afore a twelvemonth passed the unfeeling hussy but i've washed my hands of the lot ay i've been through troubles and tribulations which is our lot in this world but i've had a many more than most folks then you must be quite ready to die said betty thoughtfully the old man looked at her, then rubbed his head in a puzzled way. "'I'm not so sure about that, little lassie. I've seen scores brought into this churchyard and placed in my graves, but there are times when I think of seeing my cell let down in a strange grave, and one not cut half as fine as mine, for I'm up to my trade, and none could do it better. And I'm thinking that that day will wait till I'm ready for it. Well, it'll be a good way off yet.' Betty knitted her brows in perplexity. "'If you've been through tribulation, you must be very nearly ready for heaven. The Bible says so. I do it. Let's hear, Missy, for sure I've had my lot of woo, and the Lord do be merciful. 
For a second time that afternoon Betty repeated the task that was so occupied in her thoughts and mind. The old man listened attentively. "'You see,' said Betty, leaning against an old yew tree and hugging Prince close to her, It's the first part that's so difficult to me, but it must be quite easy for you. The end of it fits us all, but the tribulation doesn't fit me. And what be the end of it? asked the sexton. It says, they washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Aye, said the old man after a minute's silence, and just the end of it don't fit me. The child looked up, astonishment coming into her blue eyes. But that's very easy, she said. That is coming to Jesus and asking him to wash our sins away in his blood. I thought everybody did that. I do it every night, because I'm an awful wicked girl. I'm always forgetting to be good. Again there was silence. The old man looked away over the hills in the distance. It was just the quietest time in the evening. The birds were already in their nests for the night. Even the rooks had subsided, and the stillness and peace around drew his heart and mind upwards. Betty thought he was looking at the sunset, which was shedding its last golden rays over the misty blue outlines of the hills across the horizon. Presently he drew the cuff of his sleeve across his eyes. And who be they that the book says that of? he asked. Why, it's the people in heaven, everyone who dies, I suppose. I like to think of them there, but I do want dreadfully to join them one day, and I'm afraid sometimes I shall be left out. Tears were filling the earnest little eyes, and the curly head bent over Prince to hide them. I mind, said the sexton slowly, that my missus before she died told me to pray, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. I expect she knew all about the washing, but I never done much harm to anyone, and I've attended church regular. I wish I was as good as you, and Betty looked up with emphatic utterance. I'm always doing someone harm, and Nurse will scold me when I get in for being out so late. I know she will. Goodbye, old man. She put Prince down on the ground and trotted off, and the old sexton looked after her with a shake of his head. She'd be a queer little lass. I, I would be glad to have a chance of getting to the kingdom, but I'll have a look at the old book and see what it says about this here washing. End of chapter 5. Recording by Esther Benzaminides.